Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? We are back with another edition of the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Justin Michael. We've got Jake here. We've got Hank here. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the the most recent Broncos news, some comments made by George Payton. I'm going to go over CSU's Pro Day, which I was at earlier this week. Now we're going to dive into our cornerback and safety rankings because it's about that time. And this is a pretty intriguing class. Also, a couple of uh, positions that Denver probably needs to look at in this upcoming draft. So it is timely. Guys, how's everybody doing? It's it's early Sunday morning. Jake's got the Michigan hoodie on. Are you in the football zone? You, you look like you could use some more coffee. Uh, it's been a rough uh, start to the weekend, but uh, we're hanging in there. Um, kind of wishing I had some football to watch to wake me up, but it is what it is. Yeah, I, I went to bed a little bit too recently for my taste. There was a lot of alcohol. <laughs> there was not a lot of sleep, but here we are. And I'm not like at risk of really struggling. So that's that's good news. <laughs> Killing it. <laughs> Coming off of a, a pretty fun final four that has nothing to do with this, but just in, in the sports world, obviously always relevant. Coach K goes down. We've got a 2008 rematch with Kansas versus North Carolina on Monday night. Should be fun. Um, I'll talk about that on the Rams pod. I'm sure Hankel talk about college basketball a little bit on the buffs pod as well. So we won't waste your time, but let's, uh, let's talk about Billy Turner who returns to Denver with Nathaniel Hackett, a guy he played for three years, I believe in, in green Bay, assumingly your, your day one starting right tackle. I'll say that. I hope he is. Yeah. But I He definitely is like probably that guy. Um, he, so, so my roommate, when he went to the Packers, was a Packer fan. And I remember the day that they gave Billy Turner that massive contract. I remember saying, Matt, that's a terrible deal. You are not going to be happy about this. You just aren't. And and I guess he played pretty solidly there. Um, and, and what you really like about him is just the versatility. You know, you can line him up at right tackle, left tackle, guard. But but to me, if he is kind of your sixth lineman, you're in a really good place. If he's a starter, it, it's it's I mean it's not like he's the worst starter in the league because there are very few good starting tackles but it does kind of feel like a move where you say like okay we're gonna bite the bullet we're we're going to accept that this is where we are and maybe clean things up next year yeah I mean the hole is filled uh right tackle yeah. for now I mean whether it's I don't know someone above average uh right tackle in the NFL probably not 
But uh, just to be able to have that position filled, especially going into the draft, just leaves all your options open. Um, it's just, I don't know, I just like to see this from George Payton. I mean, just good roster management, honestly. Uh, even though Billy Turner might not end up being uh, this year's option at right tackle or even a long-term option, just having him on the team just makes me feel a bit better, at least. Yeah. And, I mean, you can't, can't ignore the fact that, like Justin said, he's been with Nathaniel Hackett. Like, he knows the scheme. Right. And... I, again, like the flaws are mostly in pass protection, right? And so, so you, you, you do think that running that outside zone with the Packers recently is going to be beneficial at this point. So that's one thing you could point to. Um, and then in terms of the pass protection, you also have Russell Wilson. And with those mobile quarterbacks, I always tend to try to f- like the idea of getting a really good right tackle. Somebody who can almost be like a lead blocker on those rollouts. Somebody who can just manhandle whoever's there. But I mean, the traditional thinking is, well, it's Russell Wilson. If he can see the guy coming, he can get around him and, and it, it's going to be just fine. So that, that part of it does make you feel better too. You know, it, it, it does kind of suck if, if you give Russell Wilson a bad offensive line after all the bad offensive lines he has. But with mobile quarterbacks, you can kind of get away with that. And that's why it always happens. And to that point too, I think with players like that, the interior of the offensive line kind of plays a bigger role also, mm-hmm. because obviously pressure in the face for any quarterback is not what you want. Um, but you know, uh, Russ is crazy. I mean, an edge rusher gets around bowls or Billy Turner and, uh, Russ has shown throughout his career. He's got the ability to evade the pocket or slip out of a sack if he has to. Uh, so, I mean, you don't want to kind of, keep the same bad offensive line pattern that off uh, that Russell Wilson has had on offense for so long. Um, but this is fine. And and given the guys you have right of, now, given the guys you have right now, it's still better than what the Seahawks had, you know, right? Like, like it is, it isn't like a bad line. It's just, that it was really exciting when you thought maybe they would get a really good right tackle. Another thing with the interior pressure, you know, for, for all the things he does well, Russ, has he isn't he isn't elite throwing the ball across the middle of the field. Um, it's it's kind of the boundaries and stuff. So when you're able to build that pocket in front of him and and maybe kind of mitigate that weakness just a little bit, boost it up. I, I, I like that. Well, off of both of your points, I want to kind of transition into just kind of a, a subtopic off of this is does the the addition of Billy Turner impact kind of what your thought process should be going into into the second round with the 64th overall pick is offensive tackle offensive guard is that potentially up in play i also you know you you guys brought up the blocking and the, the zone schemes i put you know i still think a more complete tight end should be in play at, at 64 just given i think you need a more complete tight end for that blocking i love alberto but he's closer to noah fant than than george kittle I think to be successful here, if you have a, a really competent run blocking tight end, that's also going to make up for, you know, I don't want to say deficiencies, but if you don't necessarily have like an A plus right tackle, which again, like Billy Turner's more along the lines of, yeah, that, that works. You know, he's like stopping for a, you know, Subway sandwich or whatever. It's going to satisfy your hunger. It's going to get the job done, but it's, you know, there's, there's better options out there. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, I guess, Billy Turner, the the holes are all plugged, so they can really go wherever they want. Um, but there are some intriguing names, I think, around that 64 pick. Um, we'll get into trade-up guys here uh, in a minute, tr- possible trade-up guys. 
but you know, if the, there's a player there that I don't know, maybe someone like Kenyon Green, if he somehow falls midway through the second or something, that's a guy that should definitely be looked at. Yeah, definitely. I, I or, or I mean, the the other two tackles, kind of what they'd be like number four and five, probably with Ryman and uh, Trevor Penning. You know, both those guys being so raw, you could see a world where where they slip and. You know, I'd I'd be a lot more comfortable if if you wound up grabbing one of them in the top of the second, the middle of the second, just to have for a year behind Billy Turner, somebody like that. I think would fit well. I'll also say that at sixty four, the idea of of getting a tackle there and putting him on the field this year, not in love with it. But you know, it is what it is. I'll throw out Darian Kennard. Um, I like his versatility out of Kentucky. Again, I probably kind of similar to Billy Turner at Jack of all trades, not necessarily a, a master of any of them. We all love Zion Johnson from Boston college. I'm not sure he's going to be there at 64. That I guess that could be a, a trade up guy. Although his, his stock is kind of all over the place. Like I see him going in mid to, to late first rounds. And some guys are like early third rounds. He's kind of a little bit hard to predict. So maybe, maybe he will end up following. Um, let, let's get into some of the, Guys, you could see around 64, though, outside of, of guard, just real quick. Um, tight end-wise, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm assuming Trey McBride isn't there at 64. Maybe Doldich is, though, at a UCLA. Mm-hmm. Dolcich would be nice. Um, he is Dulcich, kind of one of those. Um, I, I, we talked about tight ends a few weeks ago, and I think I he was one of those guys that he could play Y as a bit more complete. Um, he's not just going to be a vertical field stretcher, which they obviously already have in Alberto. Um, so yeah, to your point, someone like Dulcich uh, would be really nice. Um, you know, maybe someone like Jeremy Rucker. That's kind of high for that. You know, back into the. Well, that's round. what I wanted to ask you: Is sixty-four too high for Dulcich? Even? I don't think so. I I I also wouldn't say you're getting like a, a steal. You know, when when you're saying that at 64, usually there's somebody you've been looking at since like pick 40 and you're just like, okay, there's or, or like there's these four guys. Like if you could get one of those four to fall, that'd be incredible. And then one of them winds up there. But then what inevitably happens is they wind up drafting somebody else like Dulcich. You're like, oh, yeah, late second, early third makes some sense. Maybe even early third more likely. But yeah, I think uh, he, he, he fits. He fits. But there's a lot of guys who you could justify there. Yeah, I think those situations. Is there any way Weidermeyer falls that far? I think so. He's, he, I mean, he's, Man. he's coming off. But again, like a, he's not, I mean, he's kind of like bringing in another Alberto. I mean, I, I think athleticism wise, hands wise, you would do it just because the, the upside is, is so high, but he's not really fulfilling that need of a guy that can help out in the zone blocking scheme. Right. True. I mean, it would be, I would love to have Jalen Watermeyer. I think that would be, you know, you have him, you have him Albert Rose. I mean, yeah, it's, you'd be eating up the seams. And like Hank mentioned at the start of the show, that kind of is Russell Wilson's weakest area of the field is over the middle. So if you kind of bolster that area with these targets, um, I don't want to say it'll, it's going to work or should work, mm-hmm. but uh, you're definitely making it more possible, you know? And I mean, you also think about, who the Seahawks had and they never really had like a slot receiver or or even like a a good tight end in his prime who would be really good in the middle of the field. Like you have Tyler Lockett, but he's stretching that seam when he's in the slot more than he's actually 
doing slot receiver things, finding gaps in the zone, sitting down three yards downfield. Yeah, I mean, I think of uh, a Doug Baldwin there, but I mean, Mm -hmm. like you said, when I think of Doug Baldwin on the Seahawks, I think of him catching fades 20, 30 yards down the field for Russell Wilson. I don't think of him, you know, playing that traditional Welker Edelman slot role where he's eating up yards over the middle for Russ. Exactly. I don't want to give names because we're going to go into the the rankings here and we can kind of mention as we do it, whether we think they're a Broncos fit or not, but I feel like safety and and corner could definitely be in play at 64 as well. Just given the, this, I guess, unpredictability of what's going to happen with all these contracts. I mean, we still don't know what Kareem's doing. We don't know what's going to happen with all these corners that came in on one year deals. Even some of the other guys, it's like, are, are we sure we believe in a Moju, uh, Michael Emo? I can't say it. Ojemudia. Thank you. Ojemudia. Yep. It's not even hard. <laughs> nope. Um, but yeah, where, where are we at there? Is corner safety in play? I think definitely. I, I, think, I think they might be done in free agency at corner. I do think that they'll get another safety though. And it's probably going to wind up being Kareem Jackson. It's probably going to be $3 million, $2 million, something like that. Um, just like a short one-year deal because he is getting up there. Um, but if you have him and Stearns and Simmons, that's a good group. Uh, so there's no like pressing need, especially because they have Johnson behind who I, I imagine we're going to see at some point. Right. Um, at corner though, when you have Sertan, Darby, and Kwan Williams, and then like Ojemudia, Bassey, like those are some decent developmental guys. I wouldn't mind seeing another corner right there probably probably a slot guy right probably somebody who could push k1 williams um and i think that that's probably where this draft class is is the deepest i think there's the top end talent there's more outside guys but i think the depth is probably in the slot guys anyway right um yeah kareem jackson it's looking i would assume he signs back with denver but you never really know what those type of things i do think corner uh when you're talking possible trade-up stuff is the position I would look to more so than safety. Um, it's interesting. Uh, we'll get into it when we get uh, to the rankings here, but there is like a kind of strict divide at both positions, cornerback and safety, really around that back end of the second where the Broncos are picking around 64. Um, you know, there's a distinct cutoff for me in terms of corner around that point. And then safety, uh, we, you go about five deep at safety, but after that, it really kind of, you're just, I don't know, taking guys that you kind of like, whether it's one thing or another. Um, so could be in play for safety, uh, corner would be interesting. I mean, shoot guys, even when they had the ninth overall pick, I mean, you thought the possibility of maybe them taking someone like sauce or Stingley at that ninth overall pick. I don't think that's a bad use of the pick. Uh, if they had that. Definitely. I do think though, that the appeal is getting somebody who's really, really good and, and kind of kind of kind of adding to the room from the top, if that makes sense. Like you still have Sertan up there, but it's like, okay, now Darby's your number three, and you feel really good about Darby as a number three. As a number two, it's like, oh yeah, he was solid last year, but he's not blowing your mind or anything. I think that when when you start adding like those big outside cornerbacks and saying, like, okay, so you're gonna sit behind Sertan, you're gonna sit behind Darby, you're potentially gonna sit behind Ojamudia too then you start to wonder if that's just kind of a waste of a pick in the second round, or at least I would. That's possible. Yeah. But I mean, man, this is the NFL in 2022. I mean, loading up on corners is never a bad thing. That's Uh, true. And, you know, I do, I don't want to say the Broncos depth is bad at cornerback. Uh, I mean, all these guys have kind of had their time to play and stuff. So you're not getting like, 
unknown products out there that you're going to have to throw at cornerback um, as it stands right now. But it, it can be a little bit better, I think. I think that, you know, God forbid PS2 gets hurt and you're and all of a sudden you're really struggling at corner, right? That's so true. it's something that needs to be it maybe not uh with the first pick in the draft, but I would trust Peyton and uh, the scouts to, you know, maybe select two guys later in the drafts to kind of help uh, alleviate that pressure. Especially because you know, OJ Mudia is coming off a serious injury and expecting him right. to be full. I mean, that's just something you see. Like, how often do we talk about that? I mean, Carson Strong. Where it's like, is he the athlete we saw last year? No, it was because it was his first year back. He came back a little bit quick from an ACL thing. Um, and, and I feel like that's true for so many guys. You know, Buffs have a running back, Alex Fontenot. It's like, yeah, he clearly lost his step when he came back from his ACL last year. So so I think that expecting OJ Moody, who's already like a fringe type of player to be at his best is probably a stretch. And then Bassey behind him. I mean, they literally cut Bassey like four months ago right. and just were lucky enough to get him back. So it's not a sign that they're in love with the guy. Ojemudia, Ojemudia, Ojemudia. <laughs> I just want to prove that I can, in fact, say mm-hmm. that these team names got a little tongue-tied there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we pretty much hit everything that we needed to. I, I do want to pose this to you, and, and this is actually something that I heard on, I believe it was Crackman and Lindahl. I'm just trying to, to properly give credit here. They were, they were talking with Jeff Legwald as they tend to do. And they were, they were talking about the potential of bringing Kareem Jackson back, you know, at a discounted rate of, you know, two and a half to $3 million, which is probably about what he would command. He already though, took a pay cut from 10 million to 5 million. And what Legwald brought up is the potential of that going sour and not because of Kareem Jackson having a character issue or anything like that, but he's a veteran. He's only got, so many snaps left in him. He's already taken a couple of uh, discounts to be with this team. If they're not having success or if he's not playing well, it, it could be a scenario where that goes ugly pretty quick. Do you worry about that all at all? Or do you just kind of try and bank on the fact that it's been great so far? Let's see how far we can take this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's just worth the risk, man. I mean, he's a guy that I know he's getting up there in age. He's been in the league quite a while now. But to me, honestly, last year, I didn't really see a drop-off in play. Um, I didn't I, either. I kinda... and, but that's the argument is because he has continued to play at this level, asking him to then take another pay cut is, I don't know. It just it seems yeah. like from a relationship standpoint, you're, you could be already starting off on, on, you know, just not with a lot of room. Well, it feels like the Broncos have more leverage at this point, I guess, right? I mean... He is still on the market. They, exactly. And Jackson obviously has been a Bronco for the past few years, so that familiarity is there. Um, so if there were other teams that were interested, you know, it's pretty easy to imagine the Broncos probably have a leg up on them in terms of getting Kareem Jackson if it came down to... Uh, maybe money wasn't an issue, but if uh, Kareem Jackson had two or three similar offers uh, from teams... You'd like to think that maybe Denver gets a little bit of boost when that decision comes to be made. Yeah, I mean, he he has totally looked like himself. Like, I, it feels like there's been no drop off, which is just crazy to say, but it is what it looks like. But I also think that even when he was like 30 and playing this well, still he he was he wasn't one of the big name safeties. 
like it's kind of like the Chris Harris thing where it's just like all the way through until he gets the Super Bowl. You're like, yeah, he's really, really good. And they're like, oh, yeah, but then there's all these other guys. And, and so I don't know that he's valued by the league the same way that, that we value him, especially because he really is just a scheme fit. Right. Like because I don't even think a cream is like a true box safety, like in that Vic right. Fangio, like too high type of deal where he sometimes plays the half. Sometimes they're in quarter. So sometimes he crashes down. I think that he fits really well in this particular scheme and that that also is part of the reason why Denver just makes so much sense. And I just think in general, like if, if he's expecting to make $5 million as you know, he turns 34 next week, that's probably just not going to happen for him. I don't think that that offer is anywhere out there. Fair enough. I, I just wanted to pose it. Definitely see where everybody was at. I'm a big cream guy, obviously Bama guy. I, I think it's admirable the way he's transitioned from corner to safety over the years. And he just seems like a good locker room guy, but at 34, it's just a gamble. And I agree with Hank. I, I wouldn't have a problem with paying Kareem Jackson, $5 million, exactly what you paid him last year because the, the level of play was still there. But if you have all the leverage, while I do want Denver to, you know, quote unquote, do right by guys, you're trying to build the best team that you can and you're not giving out unnecessary money. It just is what it is. It's a business. Um, we're going to talk about CSU's pro day and then we are going to talk uh, about the corner and safety rankings real quick though. College basketball fans join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year. We've got the national championship coming up Monday night. Kansas taking on North Carolina. It's been a tournament of upsets. It's been chaos. It's been fun. But we ended up with the chalkiest of chalk when it comes to a championship with Carolina and Kansas. Whoever you want to back in, back in this game, turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on college hoops with the same game parlay. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. It's safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win. Get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with the promo code DNVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So I... uh. Yesterday, I had to go up to Boulder for football practice um, and then come back and work and wound up getting to the bar for the second half of the first Final Four game and then like continued from there on through like late into the night slash early into the morning. And so I'll say like this college basketball thing, it can really get to you, but it was a lot of fun. And that was thanks to our friends over at Brackenridge Brewery. Um, like I said, I'm doing real great right now. And that uh, I think that, that might speak to the quality of the beer that Breckenridge Brewery provides. Um, I don't know anything about how any of that works, but it sounds right to me. The Avalanche, the Strawberry Sky, all the good company seltzers, so many it's good Celty drinks. season, baby. It, it is Celty season. It's crazy how it was like 70 degrees yesterday. We're up in Boulder just like I'm wearing a T-shirt waiting for practice to get over. It feels like it feels like football. Like you're just talking to all the guys and it's just like sunny. It's not this gray and gross, like half snow type of deal that keeps happening. I don't know. It's a lot of fun. Seltzer season for sure. And Breckenridge seltzers are the way to go. 
Um, definitely get those and also head down to the farmhouse in Littleton. So much good food there. Definitely check that out as well. And they're, uh, they're supporting the national parks conference, uh, mm-hmm. conservation association, tragic fires in Colorado were absolutely devastating last year. Breck is donating 1% of all their profits all summer long to the national parks conservation association. So whether you're getting a pint, a six pack, a full on keg, if, I mean, you're going to have a party you're gonna get keg you might as well get breck they're gonna donate one percent of that awesome we love breck you love breck support the homies we don't need to talk about csu's pro day very much it was pretty straightforward there was one guy that everyone was there to see there were nine participants but again i mean we're gonna keep it real here (laughs) trey mcbride he ran a 4.54 40 according to the time that was released I will say um, the initial time I was given was like 4.59. I heard as high as 4.52, 4.54 right in the middle. That's fair just based on what I saw. Having been there in person, it was legit. It was definitely sub 4.6. I mean, there should be no questions about who the top tight end is now, right? Totally. It's Again, locked up. Definitely. The one thing you'd always point to, though, is just like he's a little bit smaller than those other guys and he comes from CSU. And if some team like you could like a team like the Raiders, you could see getting caught up in something like that and doing something dumb. But yeah, in terms of just who is the best tight end, it's McBride. Fair enough. He uh, he didn't redo all the, the lifting and stuff. He did that at the combine. I actually thought it was pretty cool of him to one. I mean, you get more time to train for it. So I'm, I'm not saying it was all just him being selfless, but the fact that he did have a pro day at CSU allowed all of his teammates to, to get to work out in front of the scouts. And it brought in, obviously, significantly more people, gave them a chance. One of the people who actually really surprised me is, is Barry Wesley. I don't think he's a guy that has any chance of getting drafted or anything like that. He did start the last four years at CSU. Walk-on turned starter, started all five positions at one point in his career. He's a local guy. He does have short arms, though, only 32 and, and 2 eighth inches. So again, like, I don't see him as a tackle, maybe a fringe guard, maybe a center, possibly just one of those guys that ends up carving out an NFL career just because of his versatility. And, you know, you you need bodies, really good dude, a really great story. If you don't know what happened to him, Google it. We don't need to get into all of that. Um, And then Ryan Stonehouse, who looked awesome. I'm I'm not a punting expert, but hearing him drop bombs in the, in the open stadium, it sounded a lot like a cannon. I watched him, just annihilate a 70-yard punt that then died within about four inches of the goal line. Uh, he showed off the ability to kick all directions. I was just happy for him. He he got overshadowed this year by what Matt Ariza did at San Diego State. I get it. He's the kicker slash punter. It's a lot of fun. The the thing is, is uh, Ariza finished with about a half-yard average better than Stonehouse this season. Stonehouse has been doing this for five straight years, basically uncontested. We tend to fall in love with the the shiny new toy. I just want to point out that Stoney has been doing this for half a decade. And I think he's going to be a phenomenal NFL punter. We shall see. I don't know if he gets drafted. I don't know what that's going to look like. But the the dude is better than anybody that I've seen in a Broncos uniform in 10 years. I will say that. Uh, To that point, Sam Martin, not signed after 2022, only has a $483,000 dead cap this year if cut 
So, you know, maybe you bring Stonehouse in as uh, if he doesn't get drafted, that is bring him in as a kind of camp leg. Maybe he kind of battles and outperforms Sam Martin and all of a sudden Stoney's a Bronco. Where are you guys at with drafting punters in the seventh round? Is it an acceptable use of a draft pick? No. You you like it, Jake? Oh, look, man, Stonehouse and Ariza, I think, are when you get a guy like that, that's worth it. Um, and when you look at all the picks that are made in the seventh round, man, why not? Like it, it's just it's we're all just throwing darts at the board at that point anyway. Why not, man? Okay. If you could get 15 years at Orion Stonehouse, in theory, wouldn't that be a better use of the pick than like, you know, Swag Kelly or any of the people that we've taken <laughs> totally. flyers on? And I wasn't even but against that seems pick, like, You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. So many kickers, it feels like they miss though. Where it's like, how often is the, the top kicker in the class? And maybe punters are different, but I... I what, there was the, the man guy from A&M. M-A-N-N. I forget his first name, but he was supposed to be like the big punter. Maybe that was two years ago. So I don't know if punters pan out. I just know that the kickers feel like they miss as much as anybody else. And it's like, well, come on. Like, what, what, what are we doing here? And, and I, I Mason say, Crosby was a six-round pick. Yeah, and that one worked for sure. And I'm sure there's others. I mean, Janikowski was like, whatever. He was first round, right? He was a first round yeah. pick. That's insane. Isn't that wild? Okay, like, I, that's why, or, and I know yeah. that's true, but... Every time I say it, it's like that cannot be true. It's like, yeah, I guess it worked out, whatever. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching that. The only exception might be like if you're, if you're like Pittsburgh or something, or Buffalo, somewhere where if you're like a, a free agent rookie, free agent kicker, you'd be like, there's no way I'm gonna go sign to kick in the wind and the cold and all that. Like if you have that sort of disadvantage, but like for the Broncos, you get the best available of whoever's left because they get to kick at altitude. Right. In theory, yeah, point. You, and you saw him kick at altitude too. Stonehouse that is that we're talking about. So, and uh, yeah, man, Justin, when we did, uh, when we did Rams games last year, I'm not going to lie. He was one of the players almost every time I watched him. Uh, not that I would get excited for fourth downs. I don't think anyone ever does, but uh, I always liked seeing Stonehouse trot onto the field and seeing what would happen. <laughs> you have to really watch him like he, as a punter. You have to watch him, and that's—I mean—that's a credit in its own right. You know what I mean? Like normally, that's an acceptable time to go to the bathroom, go get a beer, or a hot dog, whatever it is. But with Stonehouse, it's like I got to see what this dude's gonna do because he might kick it out of the stadium. He might drop it at the one-yard line. I mean, his. His back, his ability to get backspin on some of these booming punts is insane. I will say, every now and then, outkicked his coverage a little bit. I can get a little bit too excited. He's got that just cannon of a leg. That's something he'll have to work with. But uh, he did improve his hang time this season, so I think it'll it'll be all right. Um, and let's start talking about some of these real quick. Some of these corners. Okay, go ahead. That is why you never trust the average for these college punters. Because they know that there's oh, basically yeah. they manipulate nothing. the stats. They exactly. know it's like, just like they want to kick be it in deep it. every time. And I was talking, I can't remember. So it was at one of the CU practices, and it was with uh, the, their punter at the time, who is probably not going pro, but he's doing his best. Um, but one of the things he brought up, I think it was Trying a razor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it was a razor though. Who he was saying like, yeah, he. He's just constantly out kicking his coverage. Like, look, they're bad punts every time. Like, he's not putting them in good places. He, yeah, he's, he's not as really good far. as Stonehouse. And I think it was like, him who was saying that. that about. 
It's spot on. I mean, I watched him all year and I get it. Like he's getting the glory. Everyone loves to see the 80 yard punt when it works out for you. Mm -hmm. But you know, a lot of the times when you do that and you could have just pinned them and instead you boot it deep, they get a running start. They run past your gunners. And instead of being a successful 40 yard punt, it's like a 25 yard punt because they outrun everybody. And you know, it is what it is. Like we said, picking (laughs) college kickers and, and punters were not experts. Ross reader, his long snapper, uh, if you ask him, that guy's never had a bad workout in his life. He uh, was very confident about how he performed with Stonehouse. I know nothing other than I will say he didn't have any bad snaps that I can remember in in four years at CSU or three years, whatever it was. Maybe he'd make it. Yeah, there's long snap. Trent Siege had, went to CSU, and that's a guy whose name I didn't even know while he was at CSU, probably. I knew it. He was the long snapper, but you know what I mean. Let's talk corners. I've rambled way too long. That was amazing. Who, who do you, who's your corner one? <laughs> who's your corner one? Sauce. Uh, yeah, sauce. It's sauce, right? Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, you just it's, look at his body of work. We don't need to like ramble and ramble about each of these guys. Everybody get their individual breakdown. But he he's a guy, obviously, whose physicality stands out. He's great in press. Um, and he ran a 4-4-1 at six foot three. So I, I think there any concerns you might've had about him. He answered them with the testing and this dude's just a freak. Uh, he refuses to give any space to wide receivers, very handsy, physical, uh, competitive. He's going to talk, um, you know, he'll kind of get in someone's face, especially after a big play on his part. Um, I mean, I don't know. You kind of get nitpicky at this point. He's not a form tackler. It doesn't really come up. Uh, well, he does come up in this run and screen game. He's just not really an enforcer there, uh, but he's a corner. You live with that. I get Talib vibes from him. Ooh, nice. I like Lots. that comparison. Yeah. yeah. I, and by that, I mean like he, he should be one of the best corners in the NFL at some point. I'm, I'm totally bought into the hype. He's also one of those dudes that occasionally is going to gamble a little bit and like, you know, he's going to try and get handsy and somebody's going to slip behind him. And I will say that the four, four, one, that makes you feel better about his potential recovery. He's he's aggressive, you know, he's, he's going to get burnt every now and then, but it didn't really happen at Cincinnati. So I, I don't know, like he's just one of those where every now and then I would watch him, especially against some of those AAC teams where I'm like, I don't know if you'd get away with that against, you know, a Devonte Adams or, you know, something like that. But, that's anybody, you know, again, I could make the same argument about Trey McBride mossing, you know, Wyoming linebackers. Like, you know, is that going to happen over an NFL linebacker? Probably not. Two through four, I think, is where this gets really interesting because I I don't think Sauce Gardner being number one was really in question for any of us. We all love him. At two, I really struggled. Because, that's my dog. Sorry. Um, there are guys who I like a lot. Also, it's just like a ceiling versus floor argument. And I don't know. I I put Derek Stingley at number two just because I think he has the highest ceiling. I think he's the best athlete when healthy. We also haven't really seen that consistently since 2019. I don't know. I mean, I just I struggled with putting him above or below guys like McDuffie and, and Booth and Elam and some of these guys. But I ultimately put him at number two. My dog Indy was very vocal there. He was he was arguing. He's saying it's how can you put him at two? He's been so inconsistent. Yeah. I get it. I get it. But you just you're banking on upside. 
Yeah, man. Um, I mean, obviously very talented coming from a school that has a long line of very, very successful defensive backs and corners in the NFL. Um, but we've talked about it. LSU is a train wreck, man. They've been a train wreck the past two years and Stingley, you know, battling injuries and, you know, battling bad play is kind of a part of that. I mean, you can kind of mention it and say it kind of played into why Stingley, you know, maybe had to, you know, he had the injury of course, but why he kind of the level of play declined for sure, especially 2019 and 2020. And that's, that's what you worry me. about that with the Liz Frank injury, just given that it can be a reoccurring thing. Yeah. Liz Frank's a, I mean, it's not it's an HDL. It's sure. not, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're right. definitely worst, but I mean, it's, it's concerning and, I, I can't argue with you, man. I've been anti-Stingley on this pod as long as I can remember, but I just, I don't know. I, it's hard when you look at his size and you look at his raw athleticism, his ball skills when he is there. And also, I mean, and this is something Dre's brought up repeatedly is, yes, he's been a part of that that problem with LSU being dysfunctional, but also like it was such a shit show. How much can you really blame him? Like it just, it seemed like it was a mess all over the place on both sides of the ball those last two years. Mm-hmm. Stingley's my number two, two. He, uh, I'm, I'm kind of bought back in, like just going back and watching, like how many cornerbacks, first of all, they're just highlight tapes for, and you slip in one of the highlight reels when, when you're going through and watching the film, and you're like, Oh yeah, he does do this stuff. Like he does just like jump out of the building and knock balls away or pick things off. Like he, he might turn out to be kind of like kind of that gambler type like you were talking about where it's like you might get burned a couple times you might make some mistakes and leave guys wide open but also i have no doubt that Derek stingley will make plays if you put him on the field it's it's just whether he could lock somebody up while making those plays is where i'm at that 2019 season six interceptions 15 passes defense you guys that's more than some of these guys had in three four years it's wild so I mean, and that's the thing. It's like his his ceiling, like the the high watermark, is absurdly high. But it's been a couple of years. You know that pool's been empty. The sun's beating on it. You can see it still. It's still on the concrete. Like you remember the days when it was, you know, eight feet deep. But so it's just been a kiddie pool these last couple of years. I don't know. I I still think he has an opportunity, especially you get him in an NFL camp, you get the right coaching. He's a guy that feels like he has to end up in in the right scenario, though. You know what I mean? Where if he's expected to be like corner one next fall, I don't know. That could be a rough start. Well, you talk about landing spot a lot too, right? And then this is something, especially in terms of draft position, I feel like if a team takes him like top 10, top 15-ish even, top half of the first round, you're kind of putting these expectations on him that if he is hurt for an extended period of time and if he does kind of continue this pattern, not of regression, but this pattern of not being uh, a six interception, 15 pass defense guy every year, you know, you're, you might be kind of setting him up for, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of hard press, I guess, from the fan base and such. But yeah, I, I, I see the talent for sure. I get it. Um, he's just, man, just that, that 2019 season and, it was obviously great, but I think there's also a, an aspect of him being a freshman then and teams not really knowing about him, right? So he's going to get a lot more work. Um, you know, they had Christian Fulton and Kerry Vincent back then too in that 2019 season, uh, two guys that also ended up making the NFL. So 
know, someone had to get also thrown. had to pass. Like with, exactly. with that LSU offense, you were always playing from behind against them. And so, you know, that, that those are important things to consider. And honestly, I hadn't even really thought about that until right now. Makes me feel a little bit queasy about having him too, but we're, we're banking on talent. Who is your two though? Cause you said you have them at four. Yeah. I think two through five are, are really debatable here, but and kind of interchangeable just depending on what day of the week you ask me. Who is your two though? So I've got Andrew Booth Jr. at number two, um, six foot, 194, good size. Uh, he, he's one of those guys, like I just mentioned, average ball production. I think uh, he had five picks in the last two years, but only nine combined pass breakups in that time. Um, he's a, I'd probably say he's a zone corner, but I don't really want to put that kind of label on him. Uh, he just moves really well in zone, uh, knows where to be, uh, can be trusted in the back end in those situations. But he's uh, also a competitive physical corner too, uh, He especially when he's coming downfield. I think that's the part of his game I like the most is that he's one of the better tacklers uh, and just enforcers coming downhill. And maybe that's just me. I play, Maybe I place too much value on that for corners, especially because they're corners and, well, they need to cover guys downfield, not really make an impact in the run game and the screen game. Uh, but I just thought that was an aspect that stood out of his game thought he was just able to play uh zone and man. That's why I had him at two. It was very Seattle Seahawks, like 2012. Yeah. He's, he would fit in that role. He would be a, a welcome member to the LOB for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's my number three. Um, and I guess I might as well say Trent McDuffie's my number two. Uh, I, I think that he might not be quite as versatile as like a booth. Um, which is saying something because again, like it's not like Booth is the most versatile guy in this class. But I think if if you were to put uh, Trent McDuffie in a situation where he could be like that Josh Norman type, just sit on the flat outside, I think you'd be really, really happy. I think that there's a chance, I mean, and and that's what makes it kind of tough is that I think Booth in a vacuum is probably the player that more teams want. But if you're playing like a cover two, Tampa two something, and you could get Trent McDuffie outside, I think he'd make a lot of plays out there. Like he's just so quick. He can burst forward and he's not the biggest. And I think that more so than anything else is why I worry about him just playing pure man coverage is that the the matchups might be a little bit limited or even just playing like a deep third. You wonder um, whether he just could make plays on the ball, but in tight, close to the line of scrimmage, especially when you put him on the boundary. I really, really like him. Um, But that to me is the difference between him and Booth is just that Booth you know, probably fits best in that big cover three type zone. Um, could flip him to man, could do some other things. Um, but I do have McDuffie just because I think he's such a good fit into that cover two type of system. I'd booth at five or four, excuse me. And I had McDuffie at three. So again, like I said, all these guys are, are pretty interchangeable. I think if McDuffie was two inches taller, he might be in the conversation with like, is is he corner one with Sauce Gardner? I mean, th- there really isn't anything he can't do, but you just you worry about his worry about his size a little bit. Aggressive tackler. I actually think he'd be awesome in the slot. I, I don't. I feel like if you brought him in, he could start there day one and be really productive for you. I think you could move him around a little bit, but I don't know, just as a little bit smaller. And then I guess I'll just give five. Then I have a uh, Kyer Elam another physical corner. I think he's really solid and press. 
strong bloodlines. Obviously, his dad and uncle both played in the league, and the fact that he just ran a four three nine forty is really going to help his cause because he's just downhill guy. You know, great in open space, but. I also think out of all these guys, he's probably who I would want least like man on man who I would trust. Like I need this dude to lock somebody down. I don't know if I necessarily see that from Elam. I just, I love the raw athleticism. Yeah. So, um, all right, let me start at three here. Cause that's where I had a uh, Kyer Elam. I thought that I, I liked him because of his ability to play physical. Um, and I say that, meaning physical, like through the route and downfield. Uh, when it comes to coming up and playing near the line of scrimmage or playing the run, I don't think Elon plays physical at all, honestly. So uh, I'm kind of just betting on the what I saw in coverage, and I thought he was super smooth, just able to stay in phase, um, make plays on the ball. He had solid production. Um, he had a bit of a drop-off from production in 2021. Uh, but it could, I think it's one of those things too, where, you know, coming into this season, Kyrie Elam was a guy that we talked about as cornerback one up there with Stingley. Right. So I think teams were just kind of aware of him um, and he maybe just didn't get as much work. I think that he's just, he was one of the more natural guys uh, kind of moving backwards and just loved how he got his hands on uh, receivers off the line and stuff. So that's why I had him at three. And then to Trent McDuffie, I put him at five. Um, I kind of struggled with him and, uh, um, my guy, Roger McCreary, that's who I had the, for the battle at five. I like both of those guys a lot. Uh, but to go back to McDuffie, just super instinctual, I thought. Um, you know, Hank mentioned that, he, you know, he's got the ability to really burst and close on the ball. But I think a lot of that's actually just instincts and football IQ. I think he's just a really smart player. Um, and he can impact around the line of scrimmage also. Uh, slightly undersized, I guess, 5'11", 193. So uh, definitely fits in that slot role. But um yeah, I, I like this cornerback class. Mm-hmm. Um, I can. Uh, so, let's see. who's your five? Who is? Are is we all have a Mod Gardner, Stingley, McDuffie, Elam Booth, in, in some form for the top five? I slipped Kyler Gordon into the fifth ahead of Kyer Elam. Um, okay. Just because, honestly, I think that there's some similarities between them. Um, but Kyler Gordon, to me, better, better tackler more more ability to get downhill, make plays in the backfield. Um, I, I I do kind of wonder where I'd put him. Because um, again, like I think that there's a lot of slot corners in, in this draft. I think that that's where a lot of the depth is. And he might be one of them. Um, but he's another one. And obviously playing at Washington with Trent McDuffie um, does some similar things. And it's uh, part of it is just kind of wild that they were so bad with two corners who are going to be up I know drafted here so highly but I guess if you can just run on a team who cares if their corners can lock you up um I think uh he, he presses well um pretty physical um I think that you could probably use him in different ways again like the the zone is probably where he stands out coming from Washington with McDuffie um yeah, I mean, what, how big is he? I think he's like six foot one ninety five, something like that. Kyler five eleven one ninety four, so okay. literally just one pound off of McDuffie. Um, go ahead. He looks bigger than that. I don't. It's, it's weird. I guess watching him out there, it looks like he has a, a bigger, bigger difference in size. There, I had him at six as well. Just put him on my notes. You could put him on the inside or the outside. Solid in, in zone. I. Again, I, he might be one of those where it's like jack of all trades, master of none again. Um, 
And then I put Roger McCurry, who again, I like a lot. I yep. think those top seven guys, if you get any of them, there's, there's a lot to like. Darian Kendrick from Georgia is another guy who I kind of struggled with because you've seen the upside, Ugh. but you've also seen him get torched for weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with that, but it just it wouldn't surprise me oh. if he ended up being a decent guy at the next level. Oh, uh, man. Um, I want to get to all those guys you mentioned, but real quick, Darian Kendrick, I think he ran a 4.75 at his pro day. Oh, my. Did he is, really? All right. Yeah. Well, never mind. Yeah, I, you know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, to go I'm going to be interested Kyler to see Gordon. what Stingley runs because I think LSU's pro day is, is coming up here on the sixth. I think. Yeah, that's a, that's absolutely massive. Um, if he's, I mean, I don't know. I don't think you expect him to be lightning quick coming off the injury and all that. But if he's anywhere below four or five, that's tremendous. I think for him uh, to go back to Kyler. Would Gordon him not running though. be a concern? Just real quick, if he chose not to run. I think he'd still be locked in as like the second cornerback. Yeah, I think so too. I don't, I don't think, think he's that big of a deal. Yeah. Then don't run. I, yeah. I think there's a chance he might not. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think he might have a little bit of a sore hammy that morning. Right. Uh, Justin, you might have a future as a as a football agent there. Um, <laughs> to go back to Kyler Gordon, I I think him and McDuffie are actually really similar. Yeah. Um, they're both pretty smooth and explosive. I think what it comes down to, I think Gordon's a little bit more raw uh, than McDuffie, just in terms of the mental side of the game, in terms of route recognition, just kind of, uh, I mentioned it with McDuffie. He's just so quick to diagnose yep. and act on that. Um, it's second nature. He breaks better than defense. anybody does. Like you can, you can see, it might just be like you said, it might just be pure. Like this dude has better instincts than anybody on the field, but it seems like his vision is up there as well. And I like, I like Gardner in, in that regard as well. It just seems like he can feel the play developing before it happens a lot, a lot better than the rest of these guys. Yeah. Um, and then to McCreary, he was, he's just impressive, man. I wish he was bigger. I wish he was faster for sure. But then you put on the tape. I thought he played really well against Jamison Williams last year. And then there's also a video from, uh, um, what would this be? I guess 2019 then of his matchup with Jamar Chase. And it was impressive stuff, man. He's right there. He's playing physical with Jamar. Um, You know, Jamar kind of had his way with guys in college, just, you know, being able to strong arm and push off. McCreary was having none of that. He was right there. Um, I really like Roger McCreary. He's got really fluid hips. Um, He's, I mean, again, he's 5'11", 190, so he's not very big, but he does play physical, especially through the route. Um, Super patient and square off the line. He's got the ball production, um, again, just if he had, man, if he just, if he broke into the six foot, maybe he had another five, 10 pounds and maybe you knock a 10th off that 40. We're talking about a guy here in this first round range. Yep. And, uh, with all these small corners, it does kind of make you wonder if all the small receivers makes it more acceptable at this point. Cause you're just not seeing so many big guys out there. Like everybody's looking for speed and quickness and all that. Like even, even Ronald Darby, he's only five eleven, one ninety three. 193. Like he's right there with the McDuffie, That's a good point. right there we with might the be Kyler Gordon. Thinking a little too through a 2010 lens here when when looking for corners, but mm-hmm. there's aren't that many. Like you, you love the big six foot three guys, but there just aren't as many of them. Yeah, That's um, probably what makes Gardner so appealing too. Just given he has the size, he has the speed, and then he has the 
has the resume of like three plus years of just doing this against great talent. Yep. He's a top 10 pick, right? Like there's no way we see him falling out of the top 10. He might go top five. Definitely. And if I was going to love him. Any Um, other corners you want to talk about Jake before we move on to safeties? Yeah. My guy Tariq Woolen out of UTSA. um, He was a guy that, you know, really impressed. Converted receiver. Yep. Uh, Just really impressive at the senior bowl. That's kind of where I got put on to him. Um, the tools are there with him. It's just not all put together yet. Uh, you know, we just talked about size and length. Dude, 6'4", 205, man. Uh, there's going to be a team that just sees that, and the tape is not bad, but it's not great. Um, I don't think he plays the run well at all. Uh, that's something that I don't know if you can really teach. That's kind of a mentality thing, I think. Um, but he uses his length and his speed off the line. Uh, he ran something ridiculous at the combine, too, didn't he? Um Pulling it up here. It was like a 4-3 something, I think. Yeah, he was way up there. 4-2-6, man. Oh, my God. Um, so, 4-2-6 at 6-4-2-0-5. Uh, you know, that's just – that's what you look at. Right? The tape isn't the greatest. And obviously, being in UTSA, you're not getting the best competition. But, my God, uh, 4-2-6-40, 42-inch vertical jump. He has 33-5-8s inch arms. Uh, he's almost got tackle arms, guys. This guy is just long, fast, explosive. Uh, wherever he goes, I'm going to be interested to see exactly how he turns out. Um, he could be a Bronco target. Absolutely, he could. Absolutely, he could. Uh, do you guys have anyone? Uh, I've got a few more guys, but if you want to get I'll, some guys in before. I'll throw uh, Josh Job out there from Alabama. That's what I was going to throw out as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a... a like the reason he's not a first round pick is because I mean, first of all, he's 23. He's he's old for a rookie. He ran like a four or five, I think, which isn't bad, but it doesn't really stand out. He's he's like six foot one. Again, like you just like to get that up to six two, six three for that style of play. Um, and he just doesn't get his hand on many balls. But he is again, in terms of this draft class, one of the bigger cornerbacks. He has a lot of experience playing like that press man sort of stuff. That, that Bama likes to run. Um, I think that he, he can, he can be a little bit handsy. He can make some of those mistakes. Like I said, doesn't get it, get, get his hands on many balls at the same time. But also you look at it and be like, Hey, he's going up against the the very best of the best. When, when you're playing man coverage on those guys and you're playing man coverage on Kyle Pitts, even like that sort of experience, I think that he's a solid option and I'm not sure that he has like the, the lockdown upside, but I do think that he's somebody who you could draft and throw out on the field and he'd probably handle himself just fine. Exactly what he was. I mean, he's never, he's never going to be the best corner on your team, but in 2020, he actually did lead the sec and a few yards per coverage snap allowed. He was even better than Patrick Sertan there. I don't know. I mean, he is too handsy. Like as a Bama fan, it was almost comical. Like in some of those big games, just knowing that he was going to get flagged for kind of a untimely pass interference call that was going to keep a drive alive. It was just one of those when you're in the fan base, especially very frustrating player. He did have 15 pass breakups and two picks the last two seasons, which surprised me because again, he's not a guy as I view as like being dominant and in breaking things up, being Lockdown and coverage or anything like that. But I think he's a guy that's probably, as long as he stays healthy, going to have a decent NFL career, could play 10 years. It's just going to be like a number three corner. 
Now, where you draft him, I'd probably no earlier than like third round, fourth round. But and again, a, a guy that I, I could see coming in with the veterans that you have in place in Denver and, and potentially carving out a role as, you know, the three, maybe the four. The only thing that worries me a little bit is I don't know if he's like, I don't I don't know if you put him on the inside or the outside. He's not like overwhelmingly fast. He's not a phenomenal tackler, but he's not a poor tackler. He's good in coverage, but not great. Like, I don't, it's just one of those, you like him, you don't love him. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have any more dudes uh, before I rattle off a few names here? Um, no, it's all you, man. So kind of getting later into the weeds here, uh, a few guys I like. Um, the first one that comes to mind would be Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati. Uh, first off, great name. Uh, second, not exactly like Sauce, but he's kind of a longer corner too. Can play some press. He's interesting. Uh, Chase Lucas, a guy from Arizona State. Um, he's actually a guy I wrote down back when I worked at SIS. So this is like three, four years ago at this point. I've been he's been on my list for a while. Um, only 5'11, 180, but he ran 448, uh, team captain and stuff. Uh, you know, he's just one of those late round guys. I I'd be willing to take a shot on him. Uh yep. who else do we got here? I would throw Jack oh, Jones in there too. Jack okay. Jones also, both of them from Arizona State, very similar players. Arizona State's always getting those. Basically, like they put all five DBs, they're just like slot corners. Jack Jones, maybe just like a little bit more raw. I think he might be older too. Um, and oh, and also there's some, uh, he got in like some legal trouble before he uh, moved over to Arizona State. So you just have like a couple of those minor red flags. But I think, I think both him and Chase Lucas are, are solid slot options late, especially Chase Lucas though. Yeah, for sure. Lucas is awesome. Um, and then just to rattle off a few names here, I like Martin Emerson from Mississippi State. A uh, bit of a press kind of guy. He's kind of getting some buzz recently. Um, also have Alante Taylor from Tennessee. Uh, he's a guy that ran pretty well, 4'3", 6'199". Uh, he's a guy that, you know, you probably look back into day two, maybe started day three. And then um, I'll throw one more. Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska is a guy I've seen on Twitter, especially get a lot of pump up. Um, but I think that's about it for corner class. Really, after for me, after Woolen, so Andrew Booth, Kyrie Elam, Ahmad Gardner, Kyler Gordon, McCreary, McDuffie, Stingley, and then right at Woolen, that's my cutoff, I think, in terms of guys I really like. Um, also guys that I think could be in play for that first pick for the Broncos too, so... Yeah, I would say, and really, I mean, I, like four or five of these guys could potentially end up going in the first like 40 or so picks, depending on how this all plays out. But you sh- should get two or three of them still sitting there. I guess we'll watch. See, I want to talk about safeties, though, because this, this is kind of an intriguing class. Real quick, though, we do have to shout out Ripple, a fast-acting dissolvable, clinically proven to hit two times faster than the leading gummy. Ripple starts absorbing within 10 minutes, so you can depend on a consistent experience every time. With Ripple Dissolvables, you can make anything inedible. It's flavorless. You just throw it in your water or pour it straight on your tongue. It comes in a variety of doses, whatever experience you're looking for. It, it's not like that sketchy brownie you've got from the dude you're in your college dorms who's, oh, you're going to be fine. All of a sudden, you're in space. No, you want to get just a little buzz going. They've got it. You want to get absolutely ripped. You can do it. No faster than with Ripple Dissolvables. 
No sketchy science, ripples, speed, and absorption were studied at CSU in a randomized placebo-controlled trial with real people. The results were published in a peer-reviewed journal. You can find Ripple at Colorado's premier light, uh, premier dispensary, Lightshade. They have 11 locations in the Denver metro and Aurora area. They offer something for everyone from the casual consumer to the connoisseur. They have a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flower, edibles, tinctures, accessories, and more. Get the awesome rate of 25% off non-sale items. When you use the code DNVR, go to lightshade.com. Use that code DNVR for 25% off. Go Ripple, go Science, go Rams. Um, let's talk about safeties. Are we worried about the uh, the 40 time here with Kyle Hamilton? You don't love it. I, I think, because what, it's like a 4.65 or something? Yeah, 4.65, so... Combine was four five nine. Okay, so that's a little bit better, but I don't know. I I go back and forth on him. I mean, obviously he's a freak. He's a really good player. He does a bunch of things. He does them really well. But when you just try to compare him to other prospects, like Isaiah Simmons, I would take over Kyle Hamilton. Is that is that something we agree upon, or am I crazy there? Um, I think it's really close. Um. I, you obviously are getting more in terms of physical tools from Isaiah Simmons, which I think I can't blame you for going that path for sure. Um, but Kyle Hamilton, to me, I think he's very, very instinctive. And I think it's more so over Isaiah Simmons. And I think, remember, Isaiah Simmons was a guy, these guys are interesting because they do have a lot of similarities, but they are different in in many ways, I think. And I think Isaiah Simmons was a guy that when I watched him, I was like, he's got to play safety. He's better the further away from the line of scrimmage than near it. Whereas Kyle Hamilton, I really like him around the box and up around the line of scrimmage. He made amazing plays coming downhill in the run game um, in short yarded scenarios and stuff too. And, you know, with that four five nine speed, I mean, in those situations, uh, it, it didn't look like to be an issue there. Um, That's the I mean, thing this is, is when you watch him, he doesn't, he doesn't, appear to be slow again he's not like you know out there flying around but in some of their better games he was solid in pass coverage he was keeping up with you know top targets and again you just with everything that you can ask him to do i feel like he's perfectly suited to just kind of be the the modern you know the modern safety in the league you you have to be able to come up near the box you got to be able to drop back in zone do some man i mean is he going to cover a tyree kill no but Right. He feels like a guy that comes in day one, can play the whole year and rack up, you know, 90 plus tackles for you, maybe a pick or two. I don't ever see him as being like a ball hawking safety, but you don't need that from him. I think he could be. I think if you wanted him to be, if you just want to play him in that deep middle of the field, he'd, he'd make some plays for you. Um, I'm curious, what about Derwin James? As a prospect, would oh, you like Derwin James better or worse? Um, I think I'd pick Derwin. I think Derwin had more ability in, in coverage in terms of like man to man, um, and just like matching up more so. Um, you know, you see him in AFC West, of course, how he matches up with those tight ends, um, and how he can just kind of you don't want him on those Tyree kill type guys, but he was someone that if he was lined up out there, you're not, you know, you're not worried that he's out there on a, one of the fastest guys in the league. I want to say real quick though, uh, on Kyle Hamilton's 40, uh, this guy named Justin Simmons ran a four, six, one at the combine. 
So having a time around four six, especially for a safety, um, I guess. So let me get into this. I got a little bit of take with safety. I think it's one of the easiest positions to watch, actually, because I think that it's all about instincts. It's all about how you see the field, how quickly you're able to react, diagnose, and just get there, just make the play. Um, and that's just what Kyle Hamilton does. He just gets in position and he makes the play. Uh, and obviously Justin Simmons does, it doesn't seem like the four, six, one has really hampered his career at all. Yep. I, I, th- I think that for me, it's really hard to take a safety in the top 10 who doesn't have like that sort of speed that, that kind of unlocks the versatility to go man everywhere. But then you watch him play and it's like, I don't think. And I don't know how he gets outside the top five because he's, like you said, always where he needs to be. You know, some of the fun stuff is like when you see like the offense motion and and it's like he just somehow gets to where the ball is going to be before the ball's even snapped. Like somehow right. he sees that sort of stuff and it's just like, okay, there there is something different here. And and while I, I kind of agree, like the Derwin James, Isaiah Simmons, those guys, I think I would definitely prefer to have um, but then you also look at it and say, like, I think that Kyle Hamilton is basically Justin Simmons, except better in the box and and better, maybe maybe more explosive is the word, moving forward, getting into the backfield, like the, a quicker first step, um, but also more of a hitter. I think maybe even though he does have that length, he, does, he, he almost is like boxy in the way he's right. built in the middle of his body. Um, and so then you look at it and it's like, well, yeah, I don't. Like as a policy, I don't like the idea of taking a safety in the top 10 who's running like a four six. Like that just feels yeah. wild. But then you look at it as is he just a better, more versatile Justin Simmons? And Justin Simmons is an all pro safety. And so can you really mm-hmm. pass up on that? And that's why I settle on like, yeah, he probably should be a top five pick um in a class where there's no quarterbacks. And and he's probably going to be really, really good. Um, it's just whether he I think whether he ever becomes like that all pro level, which honestly I, I'd be willing to bet that he does um, you just wonder, does he get caught up on blocks a little bit more? Um, do, can those linemen kind of manhandle him a little bit instead of letting him slip through and getting in the backfield, making those plays because in coverage, I'm not really worried about him at all. So maybe in man, maybe in man. Real, real quick. Another name to throw out there in this conversation is Jamal Adams. I think though, too, because he's a guy that, he was similar, talked in this like top 10, top five range, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember exactly where it was taken. I think it was like six overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it was apparent in college that this guy is just like a box, not a box safety. I don't want to put that label on him, but he's better, you know, near the line of scrimmage coming downhill uh, as opposed to being in coverage, especially as like a single high guy or, you know, last like last line of defense type player. Um, yep. You know, that's not where he makes his money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is a guy that's, we could talk about the trade with the Seahawks and how they may be overpaid for him and stuff. But when he's on the field and he's healthy and he's able to play in that role that he's made for, you know, kind of rover, rover around the line of scrimmage, maybe play some slot, maybe you throw him back there deep uh, every now and then just to kind of keep everyone honest. Um, but if he's a top six or wherever he was player and he's just mostly about getting sacks and stuff in the run, uh, Kyle Hamilton to me is more than worth it in this area. At the same time, Jamal Adams at four three three forty, like exactly, that yep. something that's what you look at and be like, okay, that that's like the juice. That's what bumps you up into that top range. That that four three that four three forty doesn't really help him too much in terms of guarding man to man or in it's range true. in the back end, though. It's true. 
And that's why, like, I Kyle Hamilton to me, like, top five pick, and he's going to be probably an impact player right away. Because again, at the very least, you just start him off playing in the middle of the field, just deep, and and then kind of build from there. Try him out doing other things from right. there. At the very least, you do have that kind of Justin Simmons type, I think. That's who's your number two? Because I've got Daxton Hill of Michigan. <sighs> That's it was really tough, and I honestly didn't even decide. I think, I think I, I, you have to. I was really tempted to go with Lewis Seen there. Seen sign, mm. Seen. We can go with Seen. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> don't know. Um, but but so the thing about Lewis Seen is that he, he, you really like him, kind of in that Kareem Jackson type of role. That like too too high safety type of look, except that half the time he's crashing down in the box. Sometimes he's actually playing in that like cover two type of deal or cover four type of deal. And I think that with the Lewis scene, what was really so appealing is his ability to play the running game and, and kind of like fly downhill and make the hits like Kareem does. It's just whether he has enough juice to keep playing like that deep half or he could probably handle the deep quarter, but can he play that deep half so that you do kind of keep teams honest by having him back there instead of thinking he's getting picked on because, because you have those questions and coverage. I've that's, that's why I wound up going with Daxton Hill. Um, again, just like a, a freak athlete. I, I do kind of wonder where you put him um, because he is, he is a little bit small to be that center fielder type. Um, yeah. But he has the the speed and the range, I think, to kind of make up for it. Um, but at the very least, you could put him into the slot and probably have a man up against some little slot receivers. And I think he'd do well there just with the extra physicality going, just kind of grinding it out against those guys. Um, maybe with tight ends too, but again, the size comes in. Um, so I, I did wind up with Daxton Hill as number two. Okay, so I had him switched. I had uh, Lewis seen two, okay. and then I put Daxton Hill at three. Um, real quick about Lewis scene. I just, his ability as a tackler, I thought was awesome. Um, yep. he, he can like aim high and try and do like the whole, uh, tug and try and wrestle guys down from up high, which, you know, obviously not form tackling. So, uh, would like to see that a bit improved, but there, I saw enough form tackling at times. I felt confident enough in his ability to come downhill. I thought his man to man ability was actually pretty good. Um, and you mentioned it, Hank, he does have a bit of a size advantage over Daxton Hill. He's at 6'2", 199. Daxton Hill is 6'190". Um, so you get two inches and 10 pounds with seen. I thought he has really good ball skills, actually, um, and great competitiveness throughout the catch. Um, you know, he's fighting hands and trying to, you know, split the ball uh, from the receiver throughout the catch point. Um, only two career interceptions, had nine pass breakups in 2021. Uh, but 14 total in his career, um, you know, not super flashy numbers, but that was good enough for me. And I saw the the ball skills there. Daxton Hill, though, um, that size, I think, is what I think that might have been the deciding factor for me. Um, you know, like the Penn State game, seeing him cover uh, Jahan Dotson was I mean, it was really good. He was able to keep up with him and he matches up well with guys like that. The bit, the smaller kind of shiftier slot guys. Um, which I mean, you're playing safety. That's you're going to cover those guys a lot, but I think bigger wide receivers and tight ends are going to give him issues um, because of that size. He's got good ball skills. Also, um, as I mentioned, plenty of man-to-man skills. And as you said, also Hank, his athleticism, speed and range 
Um, for me, that that just screams free safety. Um, and we're in this weird kind of era of football where single high isn't really, or like, you know, middle of the field, uh, one guy is just, it's not played as often. It's still obviously played. Um, but I think there's a bit less of an emphasis on being able to play single high. But Daxton Hill, out of all the guys, besides Kyle Hamilton, uh, Daxton Hill is the guy that I would want at a free safety. Yeah, I think that that's fair. And with Lewis seen, I think it's just the general physicality that really stands out. Because like getting into the backfield, doing those sorts of things, like he's just a hitter, he's mean, and, and that sort of energy from a safety. At this point, honestly, it feels kind of rare. Yeah. I mean, that whole Georgia defense and watching them, it's yeah. so fun. They all swarm to the ball. They're all trying to get in on the tackle. Um, and he was one of those guys too. I mean, uh, as I mentioned, he does get a, he does aim a bit too high for me at times, but I saw enough, uh, you know, striking the, the, you know, hips and kind of uh, lower body area for me that I'd trust him. Awesome in the college football playoff. If, uh, if John Gruden was still around, probably would, uh, end up yeah. being a first round <laughs> pick with the Raiders just because of how he played in the college football playoff. I, I like Hill better in coverage. I think he gives you some flexibility to potentially throw even in, like put him at slot corner. And, you know, even if he isn't going to be able to cover a Devonte Adams, at least, you know, well, you know, we've always got it. We can put him down low. He's not like incompetent as a tackler. He's not like Lewis seen flying downhill or anything like that. But I, I, get, I agree. I don't necessarily think he has the same type of uh, physicality. I don't. Those two are. It's kind of like two A and two B for me. You could go either way. You, there are things you like about both. There are things you dislike about both. I think you would much rather have Kyle Hamilton if you had the option. Regardless, after three, it drops in my opinion pretty significantly, just in terms of like guys you would take in the the first couple of rounds. But there are some more intriguing options. And at four, I have. Jaquan Brisker of Penn State, who I think is probably more of a box safety at the next level. Again, you know, would worry me a little bit about if you had him deep in, in coverage or anything like that. And then Jalen uh, Peter of Baylor, and I'm not 100% sure I'm saying that last name right. Petre, excuse me. Uh, raw, but I, I think there's a lot you can work with there. Where are you guys at with four and five? So... I put uh, Petre at four. I think that he's, I, I agree with you, Justin. I think the top three, I mean, really Hamilton's in a world of his own. And then uh, that next year would be seen in Hill. And then I think Petre is like a little, just a step down. I think he's close enough to uh, seen in Hill to be taken in that same area. I see Buda Baker when I watch Jalen Petrie. I mean, he's a bit small. I like that. But he's super yeah. aggressive. Uh, 5'11", 198. Loves coming downhill. He'll drop the shoulder and deliver some contact. Um, he's got the instincts and just a nose for the ball to penetrate into the backfield. Uh, like him as a blitzer. Um, he's kind of that, you know, that weird slot, strong safety slash linebacker type. Um, again, like Buda Baker, you know, just a little undersized like him also. Uh, he actually a bit matched of a up. glory chaser too, though. Like at times you'd, He's fun to watch. He's exciting to go down in that backfield, but you'd see him over pursue at times and guys yeah. would be able to get to the, get to the edge around him. And you're like, ah, I, I, I see now, like I see why you're not quite at that next level of safety, but he's, he's intriguing. 
Right. And uh, just want to say, looking at that, this, the site mock draftable, where you kind of compare the player webs and stuff, um, Petre and Buda Baker were like a 75% match. So it's, it's there. I I had uh I I had Jaquan Brisker as my number four now, um, I think. It, it, so so Kyle Hamilton basically wh- whatever team you play, you kind of just start with him. Where it's like, okay, what's the best thing they do? Kyle Ham- Hamilton go handle it. Like even if it's a Tyree kill, it's like okay press some corner up against him at the line of scrimmage, make things tough underneath. And then as soon as he gets past like 10, 15 yards, Hamilton, you deal with it. And I think that Jaquan Brisker is somebody who you could find a role for against any team. And because of that, like I kind of just like the versatility, like good athlete, physical. You can play him as a blitzer. You can put him in coverage. You can have him. I think he could handle slot receivers. I think he could really handle tight ends. Um, And I think that, Again, it's not like you start with, oh, here's this guy. You throw him anywhere. But I do think that against any team that you play, he is a valuable chess piece that you can kind of move around and find some sort of role for. Um, I didn't see the 40 time. And maybe it's just because he's from Penn State that I feel like he's faster than he is. <laughs> but I, I I am curious to see what that is. Um, 449. Okay. Four four nine. Yeah. So again, like that's that's in this class, I guess that's really good. Um, yeah. But I did have him as my number four with a Petrie as the number five. I so yeah. I mean, same guys. I uh, yeah. Brisker at five. Um, again, I mean, I agree with all everything you said. I think the difference for me between Brisker and Petrie was that Brisker at times to me, he was more like a hitter than a tackler. You know, um, yeah. he's more, I, I need that's to what I mean rap. though. Like he, he's going for the kill and you see him coming in hard and it's exciting, but then he whiffs and it goes for 15 and then you're like, uh, yeah. All right. then. That so that's, that, that was my hang up with him. Um, you know, he was, he played deep a lot though, mm-hmm. uh, against Ohio state. He was in too high a lot, um, played out of the slot pretty often too. I mean, he's a guy, like I said, these five guys are all probably going to be, uh, I don't want to say all day two, but they're all going to be top 100 guys, I think, for sure. Yep. So, I don't know. I'm Petrie, eh, maybe not, um, but maybe maybe you do need him on the Broncos because, you know, he's kind of in that Buda Baker, Kareem Jackson type mold. I, I wouldn't mind taking a chance on these guys. I, I, I do really like a lot of them. I'll say that. Like even even with like scene, it's like I really like him. I also think that he has some flaws that he just might not be able to overcome. But I, I do like the idea of taking a chance on one of these guys um, and having him compete with Stearns and figuring out what happens there. That's what I wanted to ask right now is out of out of these top three, obviously you would take Hamilton, but would you take Daxton Hill? Would you rather have him over Stearns right now? Um, in my opinion, 100%. I think, well, my hang up yeah, with Caden Stearns, honestly, was just the the deep coverage stuff. Um, and he wasn't really put into that role yet in the NFL. So uh, it's tough to kind of say if he's really made strides. But um, I didn't really like that from him uh, when watching him at Texas last year. And that's just where Daxton Hill shines. You can throw him back there and you can trust him back in coverage. Yeah, I agree. Anybody else you guys want to throw out there? Um, 
Brian Cook, I think the Cincinnati safety is intriguing, but he's also kind of hard to judge just based on the the level of corners that he got to play with. Not as explosive as some of these other guys, but pretty decent tackler, at least in, in what I saw. I don't know, really outside of these top five, it was tough for me. There were moments that I liked Bubba Bolden at, at Miami, but then there yeah. were also moments where he would just completely disappear. So it was kind of back and forth, but he'd probably be my number six. Real quick, Bubba Bolden was all COVID team for me, man. In 2020, when we were just watching, uh, <laughs> yeah, when we were just watching ACC and SEC guys um, for the first two months, he was one of the guys that stood out to me. I liked watching him. Uh, real quick, Nick Cross out of Maryland, a guy is a guy I think you can work with. Um, and then uh, Hank, I'm willing to bet that you maybe were going to say him, but Verone McKinley out of Oregon. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, another I, guy I like. Definitely, I, he didn't test well though. I think Oregon's pro day was yesterday and he had some concerning numbers there, especially because I see him as kind of like a speed guy. I think that to me, the speed was kind of the, the appealing part and other stuff too, but the speed stood out. Um, but he ran like a four seven or something that, Oh no, I, I think so. <laughs> let's, uh, let's check on that. The other one I'll throw out another pack 12 guy, a UCLA Quinton Lake. Um, he, to me, uh, is like a late round flyer. Like, Again, not going to test well, but the instincts are are there. Um, and I think that that's somebody I, I'd be willing to take a gamble on. I'm going to throw out just, this is a, like a late, late round guy. Reed Blankenship of Middle Tennessee State. This is a guy over the last five years racked up 419 tackles. He has 100 and 87 tackles over the last two seasons. 11 of them were for loss, had 10 tackles for loss this season. Um, can absolutely lay the, the hammer. Also 19 pass deflections. Again, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, Middle Tennessee State, but he did run a 4 5 38-inch vertical, 10-foot broad jump. You know, maybe a late-round guy that you could take a flyer on. You at least like his body of work. I love a safety that can tackle. He's a guy he was talked about maybe coming out last year and he he's one of those weird cases where I think if he did come out last year, he's a lot more highly regarded. Um, and maybe kind of in that back end of day two, started a day three. Conversation. But I don't get that. He had 110 tackles this year, 10 for loss, a sack, only one interception, mm-hmm. but he had eight pass deflections. I, I mean, I agree. Like he was a guy last year. We all were had our eye on him. And then I didn't really think about him once this entire year until yeah. we were putting this together. And I, pulled up the numbers again. I was like, damn. Yeah. He's intriguing. Real quick, Hank, uh, four, six, five, Barone McKinley, uh, pro day time. So not terrible. I'll not terrible. That. Not terrible. But again, four like or five, like my guy, Reed guy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? I hit mine. Um, I'm all good. I think. All right. Yeah, let's get out of here. This was fun. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Denver does with this. I think both of these position groups are, are definitely going to be groups to keep your eyes on, especially as we have some of these, you know, LSU's pro day is obviously going to be big for Stingley. I don't know if you're a Broncos fan. Do you like assuming he does run again? I would tell him not to at this point. If he just completely botched it, maybe he could fall and you could get, trade up and get him, you know, at the, at the end or something like that. That would, that would be interesting. Um, in one of these safeties, potentially, I don't know, 64, I guess you're probably in, in play for Daxton Hill, Brisker, depending on kind of how it goes. I think that's pretty much all I've got. 
we'll uh, we'll be yeah. back next actually later this week this is going to be a, a two week or two pod week make sure you keep up with everything that we are doing over at dnvr broncos dnvr rams dnvr buffs it's a, it's officially draft season baby it is officially draft season we've got you covered for it all have a great week much love peace <laughs>